0: Billy got picked on at school for things he couldn't change. He tried his best to play it cool, but in the seventh grade, you either fit right in or you don't fit. That's just the cold, hard truth. I wish that I'd have been the friend that Billy never knew. I think it's time to come together, you and I can make a change. Maybe we Somebody We've been hateful long enough Let the good Lord reunite us To this country that belongs Undivided
1: yep. you either go to Welcome or you back go to work or you go to jail. Top of the second hour of today's Road Warrior Radio broadcast um, Interesting Interesting things in history before we do that let's just sort of finish this thought I mentioned the ads um, and the the television thing maybe we should just let Hulu collapse into its own footprint I don't know before uh, Alec Baldwin was in hot water for the rest deal debacle he made the Hulu commercial remember It's been, what, 15 years? Has it really been that long? Alec and Hulu would, can we play that one please?
0: Hello Earth, I'm Alec Baldwin, TV star. You know they say TV will rot your brain. That's absurd. TV only softens the brain, like a ripe banana, to take it all the way. We've created Hulu. Hulu beams TV directly to your portable computing devices, giving you more of the cerebral gelatinizing shows you want anytime, anywhere, for free. I only act out <laughs> because I want you alone. <laughs> Mushy mush. And the best part is there's nothing you could do to stop it. I mean, what are you going to do, turn off your TV and your computer? <laughs> Once your brain's reduced to a cottage cheese-like mush, we'll scoop them out with a melon baller and gobble them right on up. Oops. I think I'm drooling a little. Because we're aliens. And that's how we roll. Hulu,
1: an evil plot to destroy the world. Enjoy. I think a lot of people forgot that actually was a thing. They did that. Wasn't that a Super Bowl commercial? I don't know. Anyway, I think it was. And, you know, that for some reason, not sure why or maybe I am, reminds me of uh, this year's Super Bowl Pluto TV commercial, their Super Bowl commercial. The Couch Potato Farm. Can we play that one, please? couch potato farm
2: this here this is pluto tv country here on this farm we grow couch potatoes
0: <laughs> couch
2: potatoes grow big and strong here fed with the finest content for pluto tv <laughs> thousands of tv shows and movies for free you just open the app something great will be on i love star trek
0: uh, i love romance but i also love murder I like romantic murders.
1: SpongeBob SquarePants. Cats, 24-7
0: Channel.
3: I love Ink Master. Pluto
0: TV just gets
3: me. I like anything where a hot person (laughs) throws a glass of wine at another hot person. (laughs) This country was
2: raised on TV. TV that was easy. TV that was free. Pluto TV is TV the way it's supposed to be.
1: So basically, uh, making a mockery of Americans, but a particular demographic of Americans, you know, the Bible Belt folks, I would say, generally speaking, maybe that's not the right way to contextualize it, but you know, Southern Americans are just knuckle-dragging, redneck, you know, couch potato farmers. It's a mockery and it's... I don't know. It's interesting, and I think maybe what's more interesting is the number of folks who buy into the nonsense and condone it, maybe tacitly, which is unfortunate. We should be better than that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm reading into things. Maybe maybe not. But um, it'd be interesting if these kinds of things collapsed under their own weight because uh, it's insulting not that there should be some kind of reaction to it but it's insulting so interesting historical events on this day back to this day in history it's Friday so you know we can do that back in Back in time, a few things randomly. uh, In 1562 63, Huguenots were massacred in Mossy France, marking the start of the French Wars of Religion. And this is part of a broader conspiracy. Speaking of the Protestant issue, so, and, you know, the mass migration over here you have to if you're if you're the kind of people that think in terms of a generation or 50 years or 100 years to to make a thing happen in plausibly deniable fashion at glacial speed so people don't really realize it or notice what's going on then this is what you do you engineer a crisis you manufacture some kind of threat and reaction to it and um, the story that we get now, the oversimplified version, is our forebears fled religious persecution. But that was fomented. And that was kind of what I meant in responding to Brian's remark about you know calling me a Protestant. Not that I was offended or anything like that. I just offered a point of clarification for posterity's sake. That's all. And the protest was not what it was made out to be. It's two sides of the same coin. It's, it's, a, it's a false dichotomy. And, uh, you know, as I said earlier, as I tried to explain earlier, that's why now, as part of the, the ecumenical, you know, coexist movement, you see a lot of these religions coming back together. You know, uh, the chosen is, is, is uh, sort of emblematic of this effort where you have a Roman Catholic mystic like Jonathan Rumi playing Jesus, but he's not saying he's Jesus except for people are, you know, fanning out like everyone's fangirling over it. Like the Beatles came to town or something. Oh my gosh, when I pray, I, you know, when I think of Jesus, I I see your face. I see your eyes. Uh, That's not idolatry at all, I'm sure, you know. But, you know, you have that. You have uh, Dallas Jenkins saying that same Jesus, not the same Jesus if you... You know, and that's another indication, by the way. If you have to have your book, like the Book of Mormon or the or the uh, Roman Catholic Catechism or whatever, it's funny how that book always trumps the good book. And that was, you know, I dearly loved and appreciated Fred in Iowa, but I kept trying to say, you know. You know, when he would say, Chris, what happens when we die? And we would have these conversations and he would try to poke at me a little bit. I, you know, was trying to say, you know, where in scripture do you see the support for reading books by this lady? And by the way, you know, why do we need her books? Why do we need to be reading Ellen G. White's stuff? You're telling me that she cornered the market on some divine revelation? Well, she's not a prophet. She's not a this. She's not a that officially, but, you know, she got some special revelation. That's called Montanism. Beware of it. And then all of a sudden, that person's book is, you know, and what is that? That's a cult. They come in many flavors, shapes and sizes, variations, denominations, but it's a cult. Oh, I have this working definition of a cult. In my mind, a cult is a good working definition is anything, typically with religious adherence or devotion. But this gets back to my point about there's religion and there's Jesus Christ. So a good working definition of a cult for me is anything typically with religious adherence or devotion, but not just in the traditional sense of religion. This includes, you know, scientism, a cult-like following after it, and the faith that goes along with it, the things that we can't prove ourselves that require faith to believe them, you know, the... The T.H. Huxleyan crowd, the Darwinian crowd, the Malthusian crowd that says, you know, these things. The Malthusian crowd that says food production grows arithmetically and population grows exponentially and therefore some people must die. Can you prove that? I mean, they, they would say that they can, but the numbers that they present are fuddled with always and um, you know millions now billions of years it's funny how as we go back uh, in the decades let's say over the last hundred years you know a couple million years turned into several million turns in turned into hundreds of million turned into billions As the saying goes, time is always the hero in the story. And that takes faith, doesn't it? So to me, a cult is uh, anything typically with religious adherence or devotion, but not just in the traditional sense of religion, air quotes, that elevates man. Typically, just one or, or a few more, or one or a few more than others. Above the Lord God Almighty, the one true and living God. And where does every cult end? Jonestown. And that's why the Malthusians do the same thing. The kindest thing that you can do, like Margaret Sanger said, is to kill a bunch of people. In the Darwinian model, you know, some people were all created equal, but some are more equal than others. You are biologically inferior, therefore you must die. That kind of thing. It's funny how every cult ends in jones jonestown and not just the religious the traditionally the ones that are thought of traditionally as religious funny how that works if we're honest if we can if we have eyes to see and we can look at these things objectively rather than how we've been conditioned to perceive them it's funny you know don't listen to its lips watch its feet if it walks like a duck quacks like a duck has feathers, flies, loves water, etc. Don't tell me it's a rhinoceros. Or a tree. Or whatever. So, that's interesting. Anyway, enough of that for now. To the phones. Mike in New England. Is that, is that what... Oh, Nebraska? Nebraska. Sorry. Yeah. yeah Mike in hey, Nebraska. Hey, Chris.
4: Can you hear me? Okay? Good morning. Yeah. Hi, Chris, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, yeah, sir. A lot of people do that. They see the NA and they think it's New England. I, I get a kick out
1: Nebraska. of that.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I uh, wanted to add something on that LNG White. I mean, how does that differ any more than when Paul was talking about the Judaizers, you know, wanting circumcision. If you're wanting to keep the seventh day, the Sabbath, it's basically yeah. Judaizing. Absolutely. And I, I am. Yeah. And I am kind of extrapolating a little, but. In my research, finding out that like Charles Taze Russell and Joseph Smith, they were sent out by the Masons or the Illuminati, however you want to category, categorize. Yeah, Russell—that's
1: an interesting family name, isn't it?
4: Yeah, it sure is connected. A
1: dynastic it? patriarchal, anyway. Yeah.
4: Yeah, Russell and he's buried under Smith. a pyramid. Yeah, yeah. Look up his gravesite; he's all under a pyramid and some kind of weird yeah. stuff, but. They were sent out to undermine the deity of Christ in the eighteen hundreds. And I I I thought I saw something on Ellen White as well. But uh yeah. yeah, I think it's all stemming from the same group of people trying to undermine God's word, God's God's grace.
1: Absolutely. And those those days in the eighteen hundreds were interesting because that that's kind of what I'm talking about with this divergent you know, there were heresies. From the early days of the church, obviously, the birth of the church um, forward, but in the 1800s in particular, we had all of these heretical, you know, cults that th- there was an explosion of these things like Mormonism, like you said, you know, like the Seventh Day stuff. And um, it was it was to. Just drop a little bit of leaven here and there, and oh no, we're biblical adherents. And some of it, you know, um, Jehovah's Witnesses and things, you go, well, you know, they're taking this is good, but what about this? And that's kind of what I mean when I said um, if you divide people up and each one has, each group has 99% truth and 1% error. Then at some point, a few generations down the road, after everyone forgets the kerfuffle that created all of this, these cults basically, then you can unite them and remove the truth and leave the error, and they're, they're united in error. And that's what that's what where we're headed with the ecumenical thing.
4: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Uh, one I love to use with the Mormons is. Uh, uh, paul's words where he said i think it's galatians if i or an angel bring any other doctrine yeah. right i yeah. mean how much clearer could it yeah. be hey didn't you have a an angel named moroni and give you a different yeah. doctrine and they they kind All of right. fumble and stumble they don't know what to do with that scripture so yeah but anyway enjoy your show
1: thanks mike thank you mike much appreciated uh Yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know, um, what do you do with that indeed? And that's as prevalent now as it's ever been this idea. Again, it's Montanism when you get, you know, you get special revelation and it's a secret thing. It's interesting, you know, and what does that do? That's my point about the, my definition of the cult and you, there are a number of places that's happening right now. You know, there are guys like Mike Bickle that are under fire, for example, for the same kind of thing. You know, I have special revelation. It's prophecy, but not exactly prophecy. And, you know, the angel came to me and all this kind of stuff. And so, again, the question is who's in charge, who decides. So is that being brought before the Lord faithfully compared to scripture and all that kind of stuff. And it's not, and it becomes hero worship and idolatry and all that kind of stuff. So again, it's a thing that elevates man typically just one or a few above the Lord God almighty. And that's what you see with these things. Mormonism. It's Joseph Smith with the cult of I k c it's Mike Bickle um you know w- lutheran Lutheranism it's uh Martin Luther and it's interesting to listen to guys like David Berceau talk about Lutheranism I don't think most people uh, really realize that how licentious that, that environment is. And, um, you know, with LNG, with uh, Seventh-day Adventists, it's obviously G. White. On and on the list goes. It's funny how we have to have our patriarchal or matriarchal figure when, what did Paul say in First Corinthians 3? Stick around. We'll be right back.
5: right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shiloji by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, asphaltum, and others. Shiroji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shiroji has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure all of any earthly substance.
3: Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G O R B N. one-tenth-ounce bars. And don't forget, for all of your precious metal needs, whether buying or having the need to sell, call Kettle Moraine Limited. Remember, no dinar, no celery, and no carrots. If you buy from someone else, tell them you want AU, not BS. Call Kettle Moraine LTD today at 602-799-8214. Kettle Moraine LTD 602-799-8214.
1: Charles Taze Russell was a Mason and um, Wikipedia even talks about that use of Masonic symbolism. There's a whole section on that. (laughs) Um, But you know what? It's not what you think. Throughout his ministry, he said that he believed Christian identity is incompatible with Freemasonry. He described Freemasonry, Knights of Pythias, Theosophy, and other such groups as grievous evils, unclean. Sure. Um, he was also uh, a so-called Christian Zionist. And again, you know, this is divisive. um. From Wikipedia, um, on April 1, April Fool's Day, the High Court of Ontario returned a verdict of no bill ruling that Russell was not entitled to damages because the libel was not likely to result in violence within Canada following the libel case. Ross published an expanded edition of 48 pages titled Some Facts and More Facts about the self-styled pastor, quote-unquote, Charles T. Russell, of millennial Don fame. In this work, Ross claimed that during the proceedings on March 17, 1913, Russell had repeatedly lied under oath by affirming that he was ordained, but denying the same when cross-examined by affirming that he knew the Greek language. But when showing, by, but shown by Counselor uh, Staunton an ex- an extract from the New Testament in Greek by Westcott and Hort, yikes, he was unable to recognize it. Anyway. But those are birds of a feather flocking together. I would say Russell and Westcott and Horder. You know, we should play the pirates and emperors thing. Why, I'm not a duck. I'm an anti-duck. If any ducks come around here, birds of a feather. Anyway, the cult thing, I mean, if you can step back and look at it, I'm going to get myself in trouble right now, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, A good working definition of a cult is anything typically with religious adherence and devotion and look up the word religion, the definition and etymology in particular, but not just in the traditional sense of religion. That's, I think where we get high centered that elevates man, typically just one or a few more than others. Humanism says we're all fantastic, but not really. If you look closely, it's more Darwinian in nature And it's more Highlander. You know, there can be only one. But, you know, religion uh, is, is always cultish. Religion and cult are synonymous, essentially. These are things that elevate man, particularly above the Lord God Almighty, the one true and living God, where, you know, where does every cult end? Jonestown. So... Here's an interesting and and you know Jonestown is the model because it's suicide. We all should do ourselves in. And we are being infected with that idea in America. If you if you're paying attention you can see it. We're the problem, we're the plague. It's in the movies, you know, things like The Matrix when uh Hugo Weaving's character Smith says that to Neo and Morpheus, et cetera, you know, it's it's in the, the propaganda that we're stewing in. We're so steeped in it, we can't see it. But, you know, speaking of the Russell family, I mean, you have the Russell Trust, you think of Skull and Bones, those kinds of things. The fraternal network, obviously, um, is cultish. The allegiance is to the brotherhood always above all others, above all else. And if you're a Christian, you know, Jesus said, Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Do not swear on anything, in heaven, on earth, etc. And um I maybe I got one more thought on the cult thing go back to the phones, but this one's probably going to get me in. I don't know. Some people will unfriend me. Stick around. We'll be right back.
2: You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. That's DixieRepublic.com, where you can meet all of your Southern needs. Support those that support
3: the network. Support DixieRepublic at DixieRepublic.com. Email ProudSouthern123 at gmail.com and let them know that RBN sent you.
2: Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113. DrinkSuperTea.com.
1: Come in a variety of flavors, shapes, sizes. Um, the military, special forces community in particular, can is uh, you know, often kind of like you know, it's a fraternal network. The allegiance is to the brotherhood more than anything, more than anyone, including Jesus Christ himself and that's obviously problematic. I'm sure that I will get lots of I I would expect plenty of um hostility for saying that. But if you can look closely and set aside the bias, this gets into the stuff that I wanted to talk about yesterday. Maybe I'll do it next week. Um but haven't yet. Um that's a cult. But speaking of the cults, particularly of the 1800s, you know, we we over the last um, 300 years or so, we've had these great awakenings, so called. Who decides? Who is in charge? Who decides? The third great awakening. Speaking of the 1800s, 18 and 1900s, you know, the second and the third, second were, you know. Led to believe was 1790 to 1840, roughly third 1855 to 1930. So from the Third Great Awakening Wikipedia entry, it was uh, well. Let me let me just read the whole first uh, paragraph. The Third Great Awakening refers to a historical period proposed by William G. McLaughlin that was marked by religious activism in America in American history and spans the late 1850s to the early 20th century. It influenced pietistic Protestant denominations and had a strong element of social activism. It sounds patently theosophical and the kinds of things that the Lucius Trust advocates that you read about in the externalization of the hierarchy, etc., etc. It gathered strength from the post-millennial belief that the second coming of Christ would occur after mankind had reformed the entire earth. That's interesting because... A, I don't read that anywhere in scripture, and B, that sounds exactly like like what uh, the dominionist crusaders like uh, Clay Clark and Mike Flynn and all these guys are talking about these days. It was affiliated with the social gospel movement. That's patently anti-Christian, anti-biblical, etc. Anti-Christian, that is. It was affiliated with the social gospel movement, which applied Christianity to social issues and gained its force from the awakening. Jesus said, "Preach this gospel of the kingdom, not a social gospel, which is, as uh, Mike in Nebraska just pointed out, another gospel. Anyone bringing that is what? As he, as he mentioned that you know Paul reminded us is to be accursed. That's what. So this is an accursed practice." It was affiliated with the social gospel movement, which applied Christianity to social issues and gained its force from the awakening, as did the worldwide missionary movement. So what happened? What was the result of this? New groups emerged, such as the holiness movement and Nazarene and Pentecostal movements and also Jehovah's Witness, spiritualism, theosophy, thelema and Christian science. All, you know, cults, all from hell. The era saw the adoption of a number of moral causes, such as the the abolition of slavery and prohibition. Again, part of the social gospel, and there you know a number of uh, names that you know. Again, this is sacred cow tipping. Significant names include Dwight L. Moody, Ira D. Sankey, William Booth, Catherine Booth. Um, you know, founders of the Salvation Army. Which again is it? This just degrees of separation. Charles Spurgeon. On and on the list goes, including Russell, Charles Taze Russell, and you know, a lot of the other stuff that we talked about. Anyway, there's that. But then you know, the military thing, especially the special forces community, operates much like a fraternal order and cult. Uh, with cult-like devotion i know that's hard to hear for some people and i'm not trying to be anything but objective when i say that and uh ben suit over at the brown institute brown university watson institute uh cost of war project has i think said some interesting things about this this is one of those things that cutting room floor stuff that i meant to mention i don't know two years ago or something in an interview in june of 2022 um titled the domestic costs of america's post 9-11 wars and the brown institute has done a sober job of um assessing the costs in lives and dollars and i think anthony sutton would probably be proud in that interview Ben suit said the military is very good at creating what sociologists would call the warrior identity not the warrior mentality the warrior identity they sort of say you're leaving that civilian identity behind or any of your other identities that you carry and you're becoming a soldier or a Marine or airman in the military. And so that's your new identity with wars like world war II, even in Vietnam, there was conscription, he said, and he said, there's going to be a sense that you're holding on to other civilian identities uh, more than in a post conscription world. So in that era, when there was conscription, I'm getting called out to do this thing but you know what this is a temporary thing I'm coming back and you know some people uh try to dodge the draft as they say but you know Ben goes on and he says there's going to be a sense that you're holding on to uh other civilian identities more than in a past conscription world where when you join the military you've chosen it and now it's the um Uh, The, um, what do you call it, effort justification bias. The effort justification bias, kind of like wearing masks and getting the shot and 57 boosters, uh, is a, a form of cognitive bias that plays tricks on our minds. We don't realize it. Effort justification is an idea and paradigm in social psychology stemming from Leon Festinger's theory of cognitive dissonance. Effort justification is a person's tendency to attribute the value of an outcome they put effort into achieving as greater than the object, the objective value of the outcome. And so, you know, it's that whole you want me on this wall, you need me on this wall kind of thing. And um plays tricks on our minds. If you don't tell yourself that, then you end up having problems anyway. I mean, to go on, Ben said, and then we'll go to the phones. uh, He said, but this is a career for these service members. They want to stay in the military. They had every reason to want to lie to someone. Again, this is the, you know, the ever justification stuff, playing tricks on a person's mind. They had every reason to want to lie about someone who's interviewing them and try to ask if, if they're okay uh, they're going to say, yes, of course, I'm okay, because they want to stay in the fight for many reasons, but not the least of which is that it is their career. That's their plan to stay in the military a lot of times, and they don't. Uh, so the, the risk of saying um, you know, they, they need longer dwell time or something like that means maybe you put your career at risk. And so it does weird things. And there's also the socialist aspect of it of career military service. Um, you know, it's unconstitutional. It was never supposed to be institutionalized um, in the orthodoxy of the constitution. There's also, you know, the similarities to prison. And again, I'm just saying in an orthodox sense, it's interesting how that works. You know, you, it's, it's a gang you have the gang affiliations and uh, you know, you're always loyal to the gang Don't know what to do without your gang affiliation. It's how how you identify yourself. Anyway, just something to think about. And I'm not trying to cast aspersions. Just trying to tell the truth. To the phones. Tom in Utah. Thanks for calling. Welcome.
0: Hi, Chris. Good morning, sir. What's Uh, that? You referred to Ellen G. White. I don't know if you know her history. At 17, she was plagued with bad health. She was a a devout member of that Seventh-day Adventist church in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, You know, their primary issue or deviance from the norm would be the seventh-day Sabbath. But when she was going through the scriptures, she was trying to find an answer for her ill health issue. Of course, she came across Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 8, where the Lord says, if you're doing my program, you're going to have your health spring forth speedily. She said, why am I not healthy? And I'm reading the scriptures trying to do everything else, but why am I not healthy? Right. So that drove her to pursue that issue. And as a consequence, she was able to influence the rest of her congregation.
1: Okay, let let me stop you there for a second. All right. Well, this is a perfect... I
0: just said she, she added that factor to the seventh-day
1: uh, Okay, let me stop the you there for a second, attendance. all right? So, this gets right to the heart of my point. Who is in charge? Who's deciding? In my in my examples of Joseph and the blind man, I think it's John chapter uh, 6, if I remember, or is it 9? I forget. Anyway... So in the example of Joseph, maybe Joseph says, why am I not home with my father? I miss my father. I should be there with my family. So he takes matters into his own hands and he goes home. And then Genesis chapter 50 doesn't happen where his brothers show up and he says, guys, don't be afraid. As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result that many would be saved alive. And in the in the case of the blind man. Who's born blind, and the disciples say, Lord, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he would be born blind? And Jesus' answer is what? Go ahead. What is his You're answer?
0: What is his answer?
1: Yeah, what is his answer? It's John chapter 9.
0: Yeah, neither this man or his parents were the, the
1: problem. It was well, why to- then? So, Jesus I mean, answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. The works of God. Uh-huh. That's who's in charge. That's who decides. And so. Well, I'll
0: tell you what. I'll tell you what, Chris. Tell you what. Hold
1: on a second. Hold on a second. No, Hold really. on, Chris? Tom. Tom. No. Tom. Hold on. Tom. Show Tom. Hold on. You don't
0: want to hear anything. You know what? You. I'm done.
1: Good. Good. The point is, did she, and I'm not trying to put words in anyone's mouth, did she surrender these things to the Lord? My impression is no. And I have read enough Ellen G. White to, you know, um, to have a... a, a um, a sense, I think. I mean, you know, Fred and I had this conversation, Fred and Iowa, several times on air. And I try to gently say, isn't it interesting? It seems like she's taken matters into her own hands. And isn't it interesting that, like Mike in Nebraska said, this is a, a legalistic crowd. Judaizers. I thought we were free. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you will be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So, why all the legalism? We died to the law. All things are lawful, Paul writes, but not all things are profitable, not all things edify. You mean you can do anything? Yeah, but you're called to a higher standard, Romans 7. The spirit of the law, not the letter. And it's interesting how this is legalism. It's Jude, It's the Judaizers, Galatians 2. And, you know, we need this one person. We, we can't do anything without this one person. It elevates that person above the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to have her books, has to be named by Seventh-day Adventism. What is Apollos? What is Paul? You know, is Christ divided? No. So who's in charge? Who decides? Hopefully that makes sense. I'll stop belaboring it. It's Montanism. That's what it is. Montanus was the first guy who said, hey, I got special revelation. Follow me. And as Mike in Nebraska pointed out, Paul said, those people are to be accursed. Beware of those Back to the phones. I guess, can we skip the break, please? Mike in Kentucky, thanks for calling. Welcome.
6: Hey, uh, there's some people I've ran across that say the office of profit is uh, closed, that there are no more profits, you know, so. Sure,
1: you know, but, but who's speak. who's in charge? Who decides? Who determines? Do we, it's well, funny how we doesn't... start fighting about that as, as, as people, Whew. rather than if we're, not being trying to elevate ourselves as God, wouldn't we get together? Like if I said that, if I said that and you said, if I said that and you said, no, you disagree. Like if I said, Hey, I think it's closed. And you said, I think it's still open. How often when that conversation arises, do we get together and we say, let's pray about it, brother. And you tell me what the Lord reveals to you. I'll tell you. Okay. How often does that happen?
6: All right. If it's the desire to speak in tongues or rather the de- desire to prophesy, that is the thing. And throughout the scriptures, there's a theme also with the minor prophets that say he would he desires obedience rather than sacrifice. So that lines up with Isaiah. But what I had wanted to mention, I was just trying to speak to where you were at and then go back mm-hmm. to why I called. Uh, You were talking about cult and occult. I think occult is uh, seen as uh, more evil, but there's things that are hidden about Christianity as well as Mormonism. Uh, They call them sacred rather than secrets. And, you know, the Bible does that as well. in In a sense, it says, cast not your pearls before swine, that they would trample them under your feet. So there's a lot of... Uh, concepts there that, in a, that you can draw a thread through, you know, from Old Testament to New Testament. Uh, but there, you know, that things are spoken in parable that those who were without would not understand, and he even had to de- explain it to his disciples. He didn't; know, they didn't know what he meant. They didn't know what he meant when he talked about the temple being destroyed, and he would raise it again in three days it, until after
1: well, he was there's... resurrected. That's an interesting one. I would argue that there are it's there is a, you know, there is a, a, a double meaning going on there, and it correlates to a bigger picture. I'm not going to muddy the waters and talk about that right now. I guess I thought about well, it, but nah.
6: people can look it up. Uh, people look look that up, and that's what I try to do is reference the concepts, and then you can do the the googling or the Bible hub or whatever your favorite webpage is and you can find these
1: threads well, to, to the jewish through. mind as chuck missler would say to the jewish mind patterns prophecy and the pattern is jesus the temple of his body is destroyed and resurrected then you have the 70 ad episode this is a foreshadowing of what's coming later in his triumphal return basically anyway
6: uh, well would that be the third coming of jesus then because the second coming would be when he the, came on the clouds of judgment against that old temple system, and all was fulfilled. Philetus and what was the, what was the guy's name? Uh, Hymenaeus, heresy they call it. Those guys spoke when the temple was back up and running and said, well, uh, what difference does it make? Your God died and was resurrected. Everything continues as before since the dawn of creation. But no, and after 70 AD, there's only the way... And throughout the Old Testament, all these uh, days of judgment that happen upon different peoples, these world-ending sky scrolls up, and you know the sun no longer sheds its light on whatever Sodom and Gomorrah or whatever. That's the day of the Lord coming on the clouds. Jehovah rides on the clouds. So, seventy A.D. I think is has a lot more from fulfillment wrapped up in it than people are willing to admit.
1: Because so so, many, so are we so are we going down a preterist road? Is that what we're talking about here, or what, what are we doing?
6: Well, you can insultingly call it preterism as well, but no, I think uh, it's just uh, Berean. Just look at the look at the uh, the time statements, and you. I would make say
1: one of the things that I never hear. I don't want to get into wranglings, but. One of the things I never hear is, you know, John Weaver, Pastor John Weaver did an interesting video titled Rapture of the Wicked. And he says, you know, whether you're, let's just set aside premillennial, pre-millennial postmillennial, millennial. let's set that all aside for a second. And let's look, you know, he says, when I look at the examples like uh, the the Ark moment or Sodom and Gomorrah, what I see is the righteous are taken out of the way and judgment is uh rains down immediately following. And so
6: not with the wheat and the tears,
1: Excuse so. me. Excuse me. <laughs> Just hold on. So when he says, when I look at that model, then when Jesus comes in the clouds, basically, guess what? And we who are alive and remain are caught up together with him in the clouds. And the old heaven, the old earth pass away. You know, you start thinking about it in that context. Mm-hmm. That's a context that I have not heard, uh, you know, from the, the popular, uh, corners. So anyway, well,
6: the heaven and earth was the inner rooms for the temple.
1: Uh, All right, we got another call we had to get to Mike.
6: Yeah. Well, appreciate the, wheat the, your tares, call. The, wheat, the tares are bound first. I want
1: to... Yeah. Appreciate your call. Um, so I didn't mention the occult by the way uh and that's a whole different discussion anyway in first samuel 15 um you know obedience is better than sacrifice rebellion is as the sin of divination and we are rooted in rebellion in america and then in micah you know what does the lord require of you to act justly love mercy and walk humbly with your god back to the phones ken in texas thanks for calling welcome Ken?
0: What I want to talk about, I probably should have called sooner,
1: so I'll kind of drop it. Just so you um, know. Go ahead.
0: Uh called before. Let's let's talk about Hebrews seven and eight, where you have changing of the priesthood, there's a changing of the law. I think that'd be a great foundation to cover on this conversation. If you've already done yeah. that and I missed it, I apologize.
1: No, have not. It's yeah, definitely.
0: And I have so much more to say, but not enough time, but thank you, Chris. Talk to you next thank, time.
1: Thank you, Ken. <laughs> oh my goodness. This seems to happen on Friday. Is it me? Holy cow, man. We get all frothy and we go on to the weekend. I hope it was, I don't know, somewhat edifying. I hope you have a great weekend and, uh, As always, it truly is an honor and a pleasure. Take care. God bless. We'll catch you on the other side.
5: feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs for some the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare have you ever wondered why cbd oil is a billion dollar industry it's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you
3: Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at RepublicBroadcasting.org and visit HempPaste.com/slash RBN.
6: You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Truth, truth.